If you are a small or mid-sized business and need to make sense of the cybersecurity landscape and how it affects your business, please go to cloudnexusit.com contact for a free conversation with one of our security experts. As regular listeners will understand, protection from cybersecurity threats is not just about technology. It is a comprehensive approach that includes employee training, planning, risk analysis, attack modeling, and several other non-technical elements before even trying to figure out the best technology or service you need. Contact our sponsor, CloudNexus Technologies, today. Welcome to Cybersecurity Accelerator, a cybersecurity podcast without the techie speak, focused on business impact of cybersecurity threats for small and mid-sized businesses. Welcome to the Cybersecurity Accelerator Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Rollins. I ask your patience as this is the very first podcast that we've done here for Cybersecurity Accelerator and with the firsts come many production issues. So bear with us as we tweak, fine tune and improve the quality of this podcast. What we hope to accomplish with this podcast is a way for business owners to learn about cybersecurity from a business risk standpoint, as well as discussing ways technology groups can approach these businesses. We will touch on many subjects, including discussions about new vulnerabilities and and exploits, but with a language tilt that is business friendly. We will touch many different industries during these discussions as well. We'll have guests in our studio as well as Skype calls, which brings us to today's topic and our guest, Sherry Donahue. Sherry Donahue was born in a small town outside of Louisville. She received a degree in industrial engineering from Purdue and has spent most of her 30-year professional career working for the U.S. Navy. She also worked with the Department of Defense, Federal Bureau of Investigation, and Humana. Sherry's proud title is mother. As a single mother, she knows the struggle of so many women across Kentucky to balance home and career. In her spare time, Sherry enjoys boating on the many beautiful lakes across Kentucky. Sherry just won the Democratic nomination for state auditor. Sherry believes that the state auditing office should have more say and more role to play in the cybersecurity state of the state of Kentucky. Sherry, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. How are you? Good. How are you? Congratulations again on the primary. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. So, you know, and it was kind of interesting to find out that uh, Kentucky State Auditor, typically not a position that is uh, associated with doing anything with IT. It's more fraud and abuse. So what was it that made you want to uh, or make this such an important aspect for you? Well, um, first of all, you know, my background is I, I'm an engineer, and I worked for the Navy for 20 years auditing weapon systems and intelligence contracts. Um, so my job was to make sure our taxpayers got their money's worth, and while also making sure our men and women in uniform had safe and effective equipment. Um, and then I got involved with InfraGuard, as you mentioned, um, and with my background with cybersecurity and engineering, which is being a problem solver. Um, partnered with the idea that people are losing faith in government. That's because there is so much going on that we don't know about. And there is a lot of fraud, waste, and abuse that um, we know is there, but that currently is not being investigated. So having worked for the government 
and having the background that I did, I, I, I want to bring that to the auditor's office. And um, the thing is, people generally don't associate um, cybersecurity with the auditor's office, but in fact, that is one of the responsibilities of the auditor's office. Um, they do 600 um, statutory audits every year on the financial side, but then they also have, they have, they have two divisions right now, the financial audits, and then they have IT security audits partnered with special audits. And, um, you know, when, when auditors go out to audit in the 120 counties that we have in the state, they're not going through ledger books anymore. They are looking at their information on their uh, computer systems. So um, it's important that we protect that information. Um, and nobody is surprising to me, none of the seven races or six races and none of the candidates this year talked really anything about cybersecurity. And I find that very surprising in 2019 that no one's talking about it and no one is really um, doing anything about it uh, at the state level anyway. So um, I think it's important that we get that message out. And, and I found on the campaign trail that every time I talked about it, it really resonated with people. And um, so I think, you know, the, the issue is there. And then once we start talking about it, um, people really do want to have that assurance that we're protecting their information at the state level. Okay, so, so let's talk about that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, there's a lot of current events, Baltimore, Atlanta. Um, you know, I think they just came out last week or uh, end of April about elections in Florida. Florida. One particular mm-hmm. county could be, could be doing it. Right. I mean, what is it that, um, I mean, is there something blatant in Kentucky or there's something you're seeing in Kentucky ahead of that? Is it just, you know, maybe just not being as careful. What, what, do you, what is it you're seeing that you thought this was such an important? Well, um, <clears throat> several things. Um, in, with it, Florida, that's about um, the uh, voter registration, the, the database. With um, Baltimore, it's it's hacking. With um, Atlanta, uh, it was ransomware. Um, then in uh, Scott County, Kentucky, even, with the public schools there, they were hit with a CEO phishing scam and they're out over $3 million. So I see that it's not, uh, well, Jackson County, Georgia, this is one that I like to use. Uh, About two months ago, they were hit with ransomware and they had to pay the ransom $400,000 because they didn't have backups. And they also found that, depending on who you talk to, it's somewhere between two and four years that that malware was on their system. So there was no vulnerability assessments. There were no patching. Um, So that right there to me says that could have been prevented. Uh, what's happening in Baltimore, uh, they decided we are not paying the ransom, which is what the FBI tells companies to do. But honestly, you have to evaluate, is it going to cost more in ransom or is it going to cost more in the cleanup and the damage that's being done? Um, with the ransom, yeah, you're not guaranteed to get your information back or access back. But you know, in the end, it might be cheaper to do it that way. Um, so I see several things. Um, with the current statewide audit um, results that were released uh, at the beginning of the year, um, we saw that there is a very uh, superficial level of audits being done on the IT system at the state level right now. Even at that, we see that we have over 2,000 servers with no backups. We have um, no asset management, so you can't protect what you don't know you have. 
Um, we have uh, one of our cabinets, they're, they're supposed to be doing 100% third-party vulnerability assessments. They're doing less than 10%. Um, we have no business continuity to that disaster recovery exercises going on. So if something does happen, you know, <laughs> who knows what's going to happen? Uh, nobody knows what to do. So there are several issues there. And then when you look at what happened with Scott County, that's an issue of training. So it's just it runs the spectrum of issues that we have. Um, and, and honestly, it's it's uh, our vulnerabilities are probably no greater than what other states are seeing. But that doesn't mean that it's OK. So so let's look at Baltimore a little bit, because it's, I find that interesting is that how many municipal services are impacted? You exactly. know, the one that they get up quick, you know, because a lot of tax revenue comes from that is the, the um, titles right. and being able to do deeds and such for house sales and home sales. Right. You never think that those, what it, I guess it puts a face to, you know, you mentioned we have 200 servers that don't have backup. Mm -hmm. Well, what's on those servers? What critical infrastructure services are on those? And right. now we're talking about stuff that everyday people deal with in everyday life right. that's basically on hold. Right. Well, you know, <clears throat> like you said, people are going to buy houses and boom, all of a sudden, you know, there, there are issues with getting all that done. And, I, and I, the article uh, about the Baltimore hacking talked about that they were asking people to sign a note promising that they'll pay when once the system's back up and running. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, you've got to be kidding me. You know, this is 1950. And, um, you know, technology is so wonderful in what it can do for us. But um, I do a lot of speaking at cyber conferences. And one of my main topics I like to talk about is our reliance on technology and that we forget how to do things things. So if we get so dependent on technology that we forget how to write a, a, a deed or how to process uh, payments, um, it's, you know, we are very vulnerable then. We should not be so vulnerable to the fact that we don't know how to, you know, call mom because we don't know her phone number is plugged into our phone. We just say, call mom, and it happens. Um, and we see those memes about millennials don't know what a rotary phone exactly, is. Exactly, right? Funny. Exactly. Um, you know, I remember a time when we didn't have cell phones. Um, you know, when I was in college and you know, we, we had it set up to where on Wednesday night and Sunday night, I would call my parents from the rotary phone in our dorm room. Um, now, you know, when my son went off to college, he had his cell phone and he can text me anytime he wants and, and I can text him, but we never actually talk. You know, when he does actually call me, oh my God, what's wrong? You know, you yeah, never, yeah. I, we, I never hear your voice anymore. So technology is good and bad. Um, but yes, as far as the cities, municipalities go, um, we're to the point that it's so critically important to what our everyday lives are, but we don't protect it enough as the important function that it is. Well, you brought up an interesting point. Um, that there are so many services that are done for us with technology that we forgot how to do particular things. Mm -hmm. So in my mind as an IT person, then we better be really good at bringing that stuff back up and running quickly. Right. So that's, that's an interesting aspect to what you were just saying that, all right, if we're not good at 
doing stuff for ourselves, we better be real good at bringing the stuff back online. Well, exactly. And um, one thing that I, I do see in, in the private sector is companies are getting better at recognizing the importance of cybersecurity. Um, you know, in, in the C-suite, you know, you do have um, chief information security officers. Um, so they, they do give them, they have elevated that, um, and your CFOs are realizing the importance of it because they see it as a monetary importance, um, what it's costing in marketing, you know, in market share if something goes down. And I, I, I found that part kind of being on this side of the table when we're trying to talk to companies about that, uh, that they're not necessarily equating the risk with a financial um, hit mm-hmm. or things along those lines, which is, which is kind of a challenge. So it's it's an educational process as well. Right. Um, so I, you know, I, we're dealing with that aspect of it. So what is it do you think that we need to do to try and um, motivate? Uh, small businesses to get more involved in security. The, the challenges we have is there's comfort words. I have a firewall. I have a backup. I have antivirus. I'm good. Right. And we all know that's not necessarily the truth. Right. Um, as uh, former FBI Director Comey um, said in his 60 Minutes interview, you know, there are two types of, of companies, ones that have been attacked and ones that have been attacked and don't know it yet. You know, Everybody has is, is hit somehow. Um, even, even if you're not being attacked externally, the insider threat really is your biggest threat most of the time. And you know, an Amazon or um, you know your huge corporations, they're very well protected. You know, they have the firewalls. They have teams of 200 people that all they do is cybersecurity. They have IT, but then they also have cybersecurity. And I'm afraid a lot of small businesses don't realize the difference. Um, just because you have an IT team doesn't mean that you have cybersecurity. And when a, a hacker is going to, they're not going to go after the hard targets. They're not going to, I mean, they might try, but they're not going to put a lot of effort into it when they know they can go at the smaller fish and get just as much, okay? So if we're going after a Jackson County, Georgia, and we can get $400,000 in ransom, well, shoot, that's a better use of our time as, as a hacker than trying really hard to get into, obviously they were able to get into Baltimore, and you know you can, can talk about the fact that they're using NSA tools apparently, but your small time hackers, I mean, who knows how many people are out there trying to get into systems. So um, if, they, if they can find a way in, they're going to do it. That was one thing, um, you know, I did work for Humana. Um, and one of the things that um, was key there that I was very impressed with is they didn't just follow along and do everything that other insurance companies did. Because once, you know, there's always a way in. And once uh, a hacker finds a way into one insurance company, it pretty much they can get to any of them because they're all doing the same things. So you need to stay ahead of the curve and look at other uh, entities. So InfraGuard, which I was national president for InfraGuard for three years, I was on national board for um, 12 years. Um, that's one of the things that we emphasize is bringing together people from all the sectors, you know, chemical, electric, IT, water, all of those sectors in, in each of the chapters we have, 84 chapters in the country, 50,000 members. So when we come together with all these different uh, types of infrastructures, you're interacting with people that you don't normally interact with. 
So you're learning, you know, if you're in the defense industry and somebody else is in the chemical industry, um, you're going to be talking with somebody about things that you don't generally, because you're usually talking with other people in the defense industry mm-hmm. or other people in the water sector. And so that sharing of information, you're sharing um threats that you're not hearing about, vulnerabilities you may not be hearing about, and and best practices and security that you can implement that you wouldn't normally hear about when you're talking with people that are similar to you. We're starting to see the same situation where you have IT and cybersecurity separate. Right. And it's primarily because cybersecurity just does not entail technology. It, it entails technology, <laughs> process, mm-hmm. policy, mm-hmm. training, yeah. and now they have cybersecurity insurance. Now, it used to be a writer. Now mm-hmm. it's a full-blown underwritten policy, right. but it's still one of those situations where, let's say, a manufacturer gets out. Small manufacturers, plenty around here in Kentucky, right. that we have uh, all these... Um, you know, with uh, foreign espionage to trying to get in, mm-hmm. steal technology. Oh, well, yeah, they got in and stole our stuff, so let's make a claim for the cybersecurity insurance. The problem is, China goes down the path to build it faster, cheaper, uh, and everything else, and right. all their crown jewels are now gone. Right. That's exactly right. Economic espionage is huge. And and like you said, I mean, there's so many cases where um, Gillette was one, you know, where they steal your proprietary data and they're able to duplicate it. Um, when I was working for the Navy, one of the things that I did in um, when I was doing some intelligence work, we had technologies we had to protect. And one of my jobs was to um, investigate what countries would want our technologies. And the thing about it is, they would want it for one of three reasons. To duplicate it, to sell it, or to defeat it. And depending on why they wanted it, okay, that that made a difference. Plus, each country had a different way of conducting espionage. So country A might be coming to visit us, and we know, well, when we get visitors from that country, uh, they'll send a list of 20 visitors. We'll look at all of them, and we'll say, okay, they're all good. They're all scientists or engineers, and, you know, we, we trust them. But when they show up at your door, there'll be two of them that said, well, they couldn't make it, so they sent in a, a substitute or two substitutes. Those two are your spies. And sure enough, that happened to us, you know, and this gave me credibility with the other engineers when they say, oh, that's exactly, Donahue was right. That's exactly how it happens. So you have to be aware, this stuff does happen. It happens here in Louisville. It happens with small companies as well as with Navy bases. And um, when I've talked with other people within InfraGuard, with other companies, they say, yes, that has happened to us too. You know, we don't think that our information is important, Um, whether it's a Navy technology or if it's a process for developing razors or whatever it might be, if somebody can have an economic benefit from it, they're going to want to steal that information. And it's going to be easier to steal it from a smaller company because they don't think they're going to be a target. Just like as I'm running for state auditor, I want to ensure that our 120 counties are secure because people are going to say, well, they're not going to come to, you know, my small, I don't want to name a county, I don't want to make it a target. They're not going to come to my small county because, you know, we only have a population of whatever. Uh, They'll go to Jefferson County or Fayette County. Um, But no, they're going to have a stronger uh, cybersecurity, uh, you know, a whole division of people probably, whereas a small county 
county may not have any, and they can get in there and attack them. So everybody needs to be aware. So you did an, uh, an early version of threat modeling then? Right. Exactly. I mean, it's one of those things, too, that when we talk about some small businesses, mm-hmm. you know, an IT guy talking to businesses about, you know, what's important, where their infrastructure is, where their, you know, crown jewels are, what is it, what is it's most important for them. Then we can look at the attack surface and see where the vulnerabilities are. So right. it's, it's very similar. Well, and um, when I was working for the Navy uh, also, uh, for 20 years, I did a lot of different things. We were working on a shipbuilding program, DD-21, which <clears throat> is, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> it's now called the Zumwalt class. And um, <clears throat> it's a new destroyer. So we had uh, 12 pieces of technology, as you call it, the crown jewels. Yeah. And we want to protect those technologies because they're the ones that, if they were stolen, would hurt us. So we identified 70 um, contractor sites in the country and 40 government sites in the country that were working on some part of these 12 technologies. And we reached out to them. We sent them ahead of time a survey, asked them, All right, what are you doing in physical security and information security and personnel security? We review that and then send a team out. So they spent a day or two reviewing these processes on site. At the end of the day, they would uh, do an outbrief to the uh, management, and they would say, these are things you're doing really well. These are your best practices, but these are things that can be improved. Because it's different for each one. You know, just like with InfraGuard, um, each chapter is different based on the personnel, about uh, the infrastructures within that area, the geography. Just like every county in Kentucky is different from every other county. Um, Perry County is not the same as Jefferson County. It's not the same as Bath County, right? They're all going to be different. And so we have to take that into account. So, um, but as you said, we have to look at all issues. It's going to be their their cybersecurity, their IT security, but it's also going to be physical security. It's also going to be personnel security. So there are so many things that we have to take into account that people don't think about. You know, the social engineering, again, your, your, your human factor is often your, your, your most vulnerable area. And not that people are being malicious. They just, they'll click on those sites that they, you know, they don't even think about. So are, are we getting training to those areas? And we're not. It, you mentioned basically supply chain cybersecurity, uh, which is it, which is an issue now. I mean, I think it wasn't too long ago where there was one of the electric companies in the Northeast mm-hmm. that uh, one of the HVAC vendors had right. software to <clears throat> handle environmental controls, and there was a Trojan in there they traced back, they think, to the GRU in Russia. Mm-hmm. You know, we're seeing a lot of these smaller organizations, electrical companies and uh, plumbing companies and things along those lines that have all these plans of all these facilities that could be sensitive. Now, we, we ran into the NIST protocol. Right. Are you familiar with that? Mm-hmm. It's incredibly complex and not friendly at all to small business. Right. But they're working on new, uh, smaller, lesser, uh, cumbersome mm-hmm. um, standards. Right. Uh, is there, uh, is there something that, as far as adoption goes, or, or, or things along those lines that, I mean, there's a model now. Is that something we're looking for maybe in Kentucky at the county level or anything along those lines? Well, um, it's funny you say that. Um, I was keynote speaker at the Louisville Cybersecurity Conference yesterday, and somebody asked that exact question uh, because I'm talking about 
incorporating um, these the IT security audits in with the um, <clears throat> accounting audits when they go out to these counties and do this. And we will be auditing them as far as their um, accounting goes, but we can't audit their um, IT system because we don't have standards to audit to right now. So going in, the first thing I want to do is um, do assessments of these um, of these areas. So then later on, we can develop standards. And you know whether it's a NIST standard, I mean there are standards out there that we can measure up, you know, measure them against, you know, a benchmark. But um, in the beginning, we're going to have to do assessments and then share with them these are the best practices. These are things that you should be doing, or um, you need a backup, you need a, a firewall, or you need to update your, um, you need to be doing patching, um, whatever it might be. Um, and again, all of them are going to be different because they're going to have different levels of people involved. Um, so that is going to be a process that we're going to have to develop. I'm, I'm talking with folks in um, New York and Michigan and different places that uh, they are doing a lot with the state and county governments. And I want to find out what are the types of things they're doing? What are the benchmarks they're using so that we can work with our, uh, our state um, technology folks and make sure that we're getting some of that information out there? Because people don't know, you know, if you're at the county level and like you said, we have a firewall. Okay, when's the last time you updated it? Update it? Right. So they think once they put it in there, mm -hmm. they're done, you know, and, and it's that game. I mean, you know, every time that the bad guys develop something, we develop a defense for it and they develop something better. And we need to get that information out there to these counties that you're not done just because you put one thing in place. Do you foresee then that uh, IT maintenance might become policy? Yes. Um, actually, it's interesting. Uh, some of these counties, you know, they have very small budgets to operate their offices. And so they don't have extra for, um, you know, a cybersecurity or for what they would need to update their or protect their systems. Uh, there was one county I was talking to uh, a department. They only have $8,000 a year in their budget, and that's supposed to cover their copiers and printers and, uh, you know, desks and, you know, whatever they have they're not going to have a whole lot left over for a firewall right they have everything to do their job but none of the invisible stuff invisible stuff that's a great way to put it yes um, so when they do have issues and they have to call the um, IT folks from Frankfurt to come in and help them they have to pay upwards of $75 an hour all right that's just for them to come in and look at the issue and give them, you know, this is what needs to be done. So uh, I've talked with some of them that they say, well, we don't call them. We just wait until another department calls them to come down to look at something they have. And while they're here, we'll say, hey, can you help us out with this? So it's not even that they're, they're calling for help when they know they need it. Um, so you know, if they're reluctant to ask for that help, they're not even getting that proactive precaution in place. Well, the proactiveness is something that's interesting. I, I, I kind of see this time and time again. I call it the 9-11 syndrome. Oh, yes. Right. But it's, it's they wait till some disaster happens mm -hmm. before they pay attention to it. And I know from being in business, you know, I charge more if I have to come in an emergency just because I have to drop sure. everything to go. Right. But if we plan it and build it right and things along those lines to prevent the stuff happening in the first place, right. then it's a lot less expensive. And actually just, you know, a, 
uh, bird in the hand versus bird in the bush uh, is the conversation that right. must be happening with some of these. Well, I mean, just think about it. If if um, if it's you know uh, Thanksgiving you know night and your pipes freeze and you have to call a plumber to come out, yeah, it's going to cost you a lot more than it is on a Wednesday morning. You're like, oh, I need to make sure that my pipes are good to go before all the family comes in for Thanksgiving, right? So it's the same exact thing that you're talking about. Um, and, and yeah, if we have uh, if we have that emergency situation, uh, a 9/11, like you said, you know, it's a shame that we have to have those things happen before we'll respond to it. It's a shame that 9/11 had to happen before we realized that oh, we need a DHS to protect us from. Uh, people that might use a plane against us or to protect people that are traveling on commuter trains or, or whatever it might be. Um, same thing. We, it seems like we always have to have that one thing happen before we put in the protections. And it always comes to a lack of imagination. And um, what I would hope is that all these things that are happening in these other states and counties around the country, that we could look at that and say, that could happen to us. Baltimore, my goodness, the people that are, I mean, they are right outside of D.C. These these are people that are very aware of cybersecurity, and it's happening there. If I'm not mistaken, the NSA is in Fort Meade in Maryland, so, all right, that's neither here nor there. So, um, so one of the questions I wanted to talk a little bit about is that, you know, all the cybersecurity in the world is not necessarily going to deter a determined bad actor. Right. And, you know, we prepare for zero-day attacks, um, and the way we prepare for them is to the ability to get a company back up and running on its feet as quickly right. as possible. Mm-hmm. So, you know, again, it kind of goes down to the path of technology versus process versus policy. So, you know, it, what's your approach going in as far as, uh, we talked about IT maintenance as as a potential policy issue. What about backups and uh, how, you know, standards on how quickly you're supposed to be up and running with key services or things along those lines? Is that something that's in the future? Oh, absolutely. Um, You know, as I mentioned earlier, they, um, one of the things that was found in the audit um, was that there was no uh, business continuity disaster recovery exercises being conducted. Um, And so, and I know that's a huge area that people are looking at right now because it truly is not a matter of if, but when you're going to get hit, right? And how big and how bad is it? You know that that's you know to, to see. And even if even if you have all the security in place, you're still going to have potentially a malicious insider threat. So we need to be able to, like you said, get things stand back up, stood back up very quickly. Um, and it is about you know processes and policies and backups and having all those things in place. So we need to make sure it's a very comprehensive plan. Um, another thing that we have is the ability to um, call in the National Guard as a resource. You know, when you have a, a disaster, when you have a flood or a tornado or whatever it might be, you call the National Guard and they come in with their boats and, you know, manpower and sandbags and mm-hmm. whatever to help you out. Well, 
Well, they also have a team that does uh, cybersecurity response. Um, now, they're, they're just now getting it more out there. I know Ohio is really good with this. Um, and I've talked with the folks in uh, the National Guard here in Kentucky, and they are standing it up here as well. Um, they do exercises. Uh, they do response uh, to help some of these small uh, areas, small communities when this happens. But we need to tap into them also for prevention and, you know, what can we do to help with, you know, training. Because the National Guard, these are folks that, you know, on the weekend, they're doing what they're doing during the week, which is some cybersecurity, some IT professionals. So uh, we have that that ability there to to help our communities. And, and, th- and again, that's what people do. You know, I, I would recommend that small businesses especially get involved in some of these groups, you know, ISACA, InfraGuard, um, because they're able to network with other people, get help. And people that are part of these organizations are people that want to help. They want to be part of a solution. So let's talk a little bit about InfraGuard. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that you know uh, these organizations should get involved. At what level are these folks getting involved? Is it the IT guy that goes to this? Is it the CFO? Is it the CEO? What, what level? It's more mid-level. So it's going to be the people that are um, heading up these teams. Uh, there are some uh, people at the C-level, but um, you know, in your bigger corporations, it's not so much. But in the smaller corporations, yeah, it, it's good. And it's also good because it helps uh, the mid-level people to understand and get a bigger picture and to be able to come back and, and brief their C-suite on these are the things we're seeing, these are the real threats. And when you you're go to meetings of these organizations, you're interacting with people from um, the FBI, uh, from DHS, you know, the protective security advisors, um, from, you know, different, you know, even within the state, the state's fusion, fusion center and the state homeland security people. And they're able to share, the, these are the threats that we're seeing. And these are the things that are happening to other companies, um, you know, and they, they're, they're very good about not providing names of companies if the companies don't want that to happen, but they're able to say, look, this attack happened and we're seeing it more and more. Uh, skimmers, you know, where they're able to say, you know, in, in Louisville and, you know, this zip code, we're seeing more skimmers happening uh, at gas stations. It's where they swap out the credit card. Where they swap out, right. And, and I swear, I, I hate to admit it, but it happened to me about three weeks ago. I, I get up on a Wednesday, Thursday morning. I'm sitting in my bathrobe having coffee. It's six thirty in the morning, and my bank sends me a text message. Did you just try to use your your debit card at a Thornton's? Nope, I'm at home right now. Did you just try to use that at a Citco? Nope, I'm still at home right now. So I, I uh, replied back, said no, that wasn't me. So they called me, and immediately they canceled my card. And you know what? We've been traveling all over the state with my campaign, and I, we've been using my my debit card at the at the uh, gas tank um, all over the place. And I know better than that. You know, I'm one of these people that is out there preaching, go inside and pay, but it's so convenient. Well, it, it, you bring up a good example is you set up the alerts on your phone from your bank. Right. And you've got a good bank that responds very quickly to things. So it's just like what we were talking about mm-hmm. with business continuity and getting stuff back up and running back to normal as fast as possible. Right. So, you know, <clears throat> we and we also talked about how if a, a, a dedicated bad actor is going to try and do whatever they can to do it, mm-hmm. as long as you have the backup and the and the uh, tools and the 
alive right. to, to protect. Help. And yeah. so I wasn't out any money. Uh, what I was out was a week without a debit card, and you don't realize how often you use it until you don't have it. But and I know what to look for on those skimmers, but they're getting better at being able to do that. Um, they do it with you know Bluetooth now. You don't have to actually go in and, and open it up and switch it out. So the bad guys are getting better. You know, here I'm, I'm a cybersecurity expert, <laughs> and it happened to me. Okay. So let's talk a little bit um, about elections and election fraud. We just had mm-hmm. a little more information come out about Florida and that one county down right. there. Mm-hmm. Uh, more and more counties and states are, are going toward electronic-based um, uh, voting machines and things yes. along those mm-hmm. lines. I mean, do we have a solution for that? I mean, are we going to air gap everything? Is it... The problem is that the, well, first of all, the Secretary of State is in charge of the election process, but it's the county clerk's offices that actually execute the, um, the voting process. Um, and a lot of them use different machines. Some use paper backups, some don't. And so across, across the state, it's, it's a spectrum. Um, we've also seen where, and I won't name the county, but I found that there was one county that was storing their voting machines in like a public self-storage facility in between elections. Well, it's locked up. Ouch. Oh my gosh. So um, I've been told that they're no longer doing that. Thank goodness. But it just shows you that um, there there is a, a need for security there. We do have, uh, as I mentioned, you know, the 18 uh, critical infrastructures as defined by DHS. Well, uh, you're probably familiar with the ISACs, Information Sharing and Analysis Centers. And there's an ISAC for each critical infrastructure. And uh, they have a sector coordinating council and they have a government coordinating council. So whatever government entity is affiliated with each of those infrastructures so it's a way to share information across the private sector with the public agency that oversees it. So we have, you know, these uh, ISACs that uh, address each of the infrastructures. Recently, they stood up a new one, the EI ISAC, which is Election Infrastructure ISAC, because the elections are a critical part of our infrastructure. It is the critical part of our democracy. And so to ensure that you know our adversaries aren't um, tampering with our elections and that our votes are counted, we need to ensure the integrity of those machines. And that's one thing that I ran on, is that I want to audit the uh, electronic voting machines across the state. Um, as a precursor to that, I have gotten involved with this um, EII-SAC and um, interacting with people that are with these uh, electronic voting machine companies and working on these issues. So um, it's something that, again, uh, there's not going to be a one-size-fits-all solution. Um, but there's going to be a lot of uh, uh, training and information sharing. You know, there was one county clerk, uh, or actually two county clerks I've spoken with uh, about this very issue. And uh, they both said, oh, there's nothing to worry about. Uh, our machines can't be hacked. Well, that right there is tells me we got a big problem because everyone can be hacked, you know, in one way or another. And I can just tell them right off, you know, off the cuff. Yeah, here are you know several ways that that particular machine can be hacked. So uh, the fact that they feel like we're protected here, that tells me that there's a lot of information or a lot of training to be done. So 
it's it's interesting how we talk about you know, and, and I, I've seen on your uh, campaign website and things that mm-hmm. people can't trust government anymore. And here we are talking about cybersecurity and, and everything else. I mean, really, the government has no choice but to perform right. um, what the taxpayers are paying for. Mm-hmm. Do you see that as a, a way to change things and to help you know, the public start trusting government or at least be uh, more cautiously optimistic about it? Oh, absolutely. And, and you know, when, uh, when, you, when you pay your taxes, you know, you're dealing with the revenue department. When you uh, get your, you know, register your car, you know, with the transportation department. And so there's so many departments within the state. You know, if you're a state employee, your health records. Um, so there's so much information about each of us that the state has within all their systems. And when I feel like if um, when I'm elected auditor and I'm able to implement these uh, modernization um, in in um, professionalizing our IT security audits and expanding it into the counties, I believe that will bring a level of trust uh, to our citizens because they they know that we value that we are the holders of their data and we are going to protect that. And I think that will go a long way towards improving that that trust uh, bond. All right, well, thank you for your time. We have, uh, I have two more questions that we try to ask at the end of uh, this particular podcast. Okay. Now, this is geared towards small business. Okay. So given everything we've talked about, your experience with InfraGuard as well as the Navy, what are some of the things that small businesses can do today to protect themselves and, and be ready in the face of a cyber attack? Uh, just, just to stay, stay aware of what's going on around them. Don't hide your head in the sand. Um, just because you're, you're not, you, know, you don't know what you don't know, so you're safe from it. No, it's not. It's like somebody who doesn't want to go to the doctor and have a test done because as long as I don't know, I'm okay. No, if you find out now what's wrong, you can fix it. You know, you won't die. Your company won't die. Um, so staying aware, training, continuous training of your staff, um, bringing in experts, uh, tapping into those consultants. If you if you can't pay for a full-time staff to do it, contract out with a company that that does, that this is all they do. They're professionals, they do it all the time. That is so important because if you're a company that you know manufactures you know widgets for Toyota or Ford or whatever it might be, that's your expertise, do that. But bring in the experts to take care of you, you know the other. You, you might have accountants that you use, you might have a CPA that you use for your taxes, um, you might have a company that you use to take care of your human resources. Right up there with that has got to be your cybersecurity because I don't know very many companies that operate without using the internet in some form or fashion. So each one of them should be using some sort of cybersecurity and you know to, to contract with a company that does it is gonna be the quickest, easiest, and most effective way of doing that. Okay, and our last question, with all that you've learned and studied and things, there's gotta be like a resource or something that geared toward our audience that someone can look at a website, a book, uh, you know, any kind of reading or anything along those lines that will allow them to get a pretty good idea as to what they can can do? There's so much out there. Um, I I get um, Security Magazine, and it talks about, you know, um, a lot of it is government, but also private sector. There are... Um, 
I'm on, on LinkedIn. I'm part of so many different groups that as things come out, you hear about it. Um, you know, and, and to me, it's about being connected with these organizations. Um, in Louisville, there, there's talk and um, technology alliance. Association. Technology Association of Louisville, Kentucky. I always forget what the A is. Um, you, when you work for the Navy, you learn to talk in acronyms. Yeah. Uh, I'm ex-Navy, so I get that. You get that. Thank you. Um, so, so yeah, groups like that that you can be part of. Groups like InfraGuard you can be part of. Um, I highly recommend just, you know, reaching out to these other organizations. And even if you don't have time to go to meetings, you can get um, email blasts from these organizations that will help you. And say, even even InfraGuard, they put out, um, they'll do webinars. Um, they'll, you know, there's one coming up with InfraGuard in another week or two that's about uh, the use of uh, cyber attacks on the SCADA systems to where remotely somebody can uh, cause a physical uh, reaction in an in, in organization, you know, where there's a water company or whatever it might be. So staying up on the threats is is key to, um, to make making sure that you're you're protected well thank you very much for uh joining us on our second podcast podcast number two so i appreciate that very much thank and you the best of luck i appreciate that November. and i would ask your your listeners to uh to check me out on um on our website uh donahue for ky.com and um and again i'm very much about uh improving the cybersecurity of the state and and i, and I i'm looking for help i'm looking for advice and input uh i'm going to set up an advisory board and so i, I want to know what what people can do to help us get that message out there because i can't do it by myself it's going to take a lot of people to make sure that we improve our state and and two if we improve our cybersecurity of our state we're going to have economic benefit you know the secretary of state's office they hold the data for small businesses that want to do business in kentucky and so it's important that we're protecting their information too and, and the more that we can do that and make kentucky attractive the more business we can uh, uh, attract as well and thank you very much harry it's great meeting thanks you. Great jay talking with you the Cybersecurity Accelerator Podcast comes from the Cloud Nexus Technology Studio in Louisville, Kentucky. For more information about the subjects today, contact the Cybersecurity Accelerator at 502-440-1380. I'm Jay Rollins. Please subscribe, rate, and comment. And thank you for listening.